Amen, and thank you all so much for that reminder that because of the birth of a king, because of the birth of a savior, because of Emmanuel, all is well with us. This Jesus, whose birth we have been celebrating, grew up, didn't stay a baby forever. He was born and laid in a manger, and we remember his birth, especially this time of year, but we know that that Jesus grew up, and he participated in a ministry well-known for his teaching, well-known for his miracles, certainly known for his his death and his resurrection. But in Jesus' ministry, one of the sayings, one of the teachings that he was well-known for is recorded in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus once said, the thief, speaking of the devil, of Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, he said, that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus said, I have come that that they, my people, may have life and have it to the full or have abundant life. So what does it mean, church, to have life to the full? What does it mean to have an abundant life? What does that kind of life look like? so good this time of year to have opportunity to spend uh, with family. Families often come together around Christmas and holidays, and certainly we have some family, extended family present here among us uh, today of church members. But, but is a full life, is an abundant life, a large family gathered together for the holiday? Is an abundant life, lots of presents under the Christmas tree? It's a full life, lots of toys, maybe a second home, maybe even a fully paid for home. Now, these are all certainly good things, nice things, really nice things. But when Jesus said that he had come to offer life to the full, that he had come to offer abundant life, I don't think those were the things that he had in mind. In fact, I think Jesus came to offer something far greater than then these things, far greater than physical abundance, material prosperity, but, but even so, church, what is the relationship between physical abundance, between material prosperity and the hand of God? Is there any correlation between the two at all? It's no secret that we live in a very wealthy nation and Meadowbrook is situated right here in one of the more affluent areas of, of this nation. So what does it mean spiritually? What does the Bible convey about such affluence, such abundance, particularly as they relate to, to God's people? The reality is that we are not the first people to have abundance. We are not the first people of faith to to experience wealth and riches. In fact, this morning we're going to look at a biblical character. We're going to look at a a man from God's Word who was blessed with great abundance, who experienced great prosperity, great material prosperity at the hand of God. And as followers of the God of the Bible, as followers of Jesus, then, then we ought to want to know how we're to respond to God's blessing on our lives. We ought to want to know what a biblical perspective on 
the blessing of abundance would be. And as we do so, as we look at God's word this morning, the central truth that I believe we will encounter is that we who have been blessed by God must acknowledge God as the source of our blessings. We who have been blessed by God must acknowledge God as the source, the ultimate source of what we have, the ultimate source of our our blessings. As we look at that topic together for a few minutes this morning, let me invite you to open God's Word with me to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And I apologize to any of you who took the announcement literally last week that there would be no Bible study today. That was in reference to small group Bible study, Sunday school. We will look at God's Word together for the next uh, few minutes. So let me invite you to look at Genesis with me as we uh, return to the book of Genesis for the next few weeks. We've taken a break as a church from Genesis, but today we, we began a new journey back to Genesis, looking again at finishing up the life of of Jacob under a new message series titled Fixer Upper. Fixer Upper. And you may remember that that Jacob was by no means a perfect man. In fact, Jacob had quite the shady past. He was a trickster. He was a cheat. He was a wanted man. He was a man who played favorites. Yet God had called him to be His follower, he had called him to exercise faith in him and he had set him apart to be used in God's grander plan and purpose of bringing about redemption uh, through, ultimately through an offspring that would come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let me invite you to look with me at Genesis chapter 30 and as you find your place there in Genesis, let me encourage you to stand for the reading of God's word. And certainly I think as we think about, about Jacob's life, all of us ought to see something of ourselves in Jacob because Jacob was a man who desperately needed God's intervention in his life. He was a sinner that needed God to step in and to mold and to transform him into a, a man of faithfulness to God. But Genesis chapter 30, we'll pick up the story beginning in verse 25. And there God's word reads this way. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Laban was Rachel's father, Jacob's father-in-law. Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I've learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. He added, name your wages and I will pay them. Jacob said to him, you know how I have worked for you and how your livestock has fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may may I do something for my own household? Verse 31, Laban asked, what shall I give you? Jacob replied, don't give me anything, but if you will do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark colored lamb and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages. 
And my honesty will testify for me in the future whenever you check on the wages you have paid me. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban, let it be as you have said. Verse 35, that same day he removed all the male goats. Speaking of Laban, Laban removed, removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark-colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob, while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Jacob, however, took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees, and made white strips stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. And he placed the peeled branches in the watering trough so that they would be directly in front of the flocks, When they came to drink, when the flocks were in heat and came to drink, they made it in front of the branches and they bore young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. Jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves, but but made the rest face the streaked and dark colored animals that belonged to Laban. Thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with Laban's animals. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weak, he would not place them there. So the weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. Verse 43, in this way, the man, speaking of Jacob, grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Father, we ask that you would guide us now as we seek to understand this portion of your word and light of all of your word. Father, as followers of Jesus today, give us clarity, give us right interpretation and appropriate application for us today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. How many of you have played a game of Dirty Santa in recent days. No doubt, more than a few of you have participated in such a game uh, over the last few days. If not, perhaps you've participated in a, a Dirty Santa gift exchange during some other Christmas season. How many of you still have a Dirty Santa gift exchange to take place in the next few days? I put myself in that category. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one. Um, but if you've never... If you've never participated in a a Dirty Santa gift exchange, it's a way for uh, gifts to be exchanged in a group setting in which you don't know whose gift you're going to go home with. You don't know what you're going to get. You may get something very desirable or you may get somebody's junk. Who knows? And believe it or not, there is some similarities between a Dirty Santa gift exchange and what we see taking place here between Jacob and his father-in-law, Laban. The only difference is, when it comes to one of these gift exchanges, that's, that's part of the program. It's acceptable, it's appropriate, because you know that that is what you're signing up for. In fact, no Dirty Santa gift exchange is really worthy of that name without a little bit of trickery, without a little subterfuge without a little stealing someone's gift that you know they want to go home with, but you want it just just as much. But real life, we know, is not supposed to be played that way. Yet there's no more appropriate word to describe the relationship between Jacob and Laban than, than trickery, than deceit, 
you might remember that Jacob developed a reputation for being a a cheat, for being a, a trickster, for he had already manipulated his his older twin brother Esau out of the the birthright, selling the birthright for a bowl of vegetable soup. And then he later worked together with his mother and tricking his father into giving the blessing to, to Jacob rather than following the traditional custom of the day and blessing the oldest son, Esau. And then later, even still, this deceiver, Jacob, got a dose of his own medicine when he goes to Laban and falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel, and agrees to work in exchange uh, for Rachel as his wife. He agrees to serve Laban, to work for Laban for seven years in order to receive Rachel as his wife in return. And upon the completion of the seven years, he is tricked by Laban into marrying Laban's older daughter, Leah. So the deceiver here gets a dose of his own medicine. And now we come to this chapter, we come to this story, and both of these men are trying to manipulate the other one in order to come out on top. And this time it is Jacob who is successful in that way. But Jacob now, when we come to this story, is ready to go. He's ready to leave. He's been serving Laban. He's been living among Laban and his family, working for Laban. Uh, as a servant, as a, as a worker for 14 years. He served seven years for, for one wife and now seven years for another wife. Married to two sisters, giving uh, the phrase sisters' wives perhaps a whole new meaning. But he has served there for 14 years and now he's ready to depart. He's ready to go on his own way. He's ready to develop his own family to make a name for himself and so he goes to Laban and expresses this desire and Laban's response is no no don't leave stay here I've prospered greatly under your care so stay and continue serving me what what do you want me to pay you what can I give you so that you'll stay and so they come to an agreement that that Jacob will take all of the lesser desirable animals the streaked and the speckled the spotted livestock to accumulate some wealth for for his own family when he departs, if and in exchange he'll stay and continue serving, working for for Laban. And in this way, Jacob expresses a trust in God, a confidence in God, a faith in God, that God will continue blessing him, that God will continue being faithful to him, because because God has has called Jacob and already promised Jacob that he would go with him, that he would return him to his homeland, and that his descendants would inherit the promised land if he would simply obey and be faithful and follow God's leadership. And so Jacob, in essence, is saying, even though I have nothing to my name, I'm trusting in God, let me go, let me go, and the Lord will provide for me, the Lord will take care of me. But even upon staying, he he trusts God to continue protecting him and, and providing for him as he agrees to stay for the less than desirable portion of the livestock. And we can learn from Jacob's example, we can learn from Jacob's experience here, from Jacob's trust in God and God's provision for Jacob that the recipients of God's blessings can anticipate God's continued faithfulness. The recipients of God's blessings can anticipate God's continued faithfulness. For Jacob was a recipient of God's blessing. And God had already declared, decided, and declared to Jacob that he would protect him, that he would prosper him. 
in essence, that he would provide for him, that he would make his, his name great. And now we see the outpouring, the overflow of, of God's faithfulness to that promise to Jacob. Jacob was the recipient of the blessing of abundance. Material abundance, physical abundance here. But church, this is where we as interpreters of God's word must be, must be very careful and thoughtful in our interpretation because though we worship the same God as Jacob, we are not Jacob. And we are not even under the same covenant that, that God had made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We are the beneficiaries of this covenant, but we are under a new covenant, a covenant of grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We worship the same God, but we operate under a new covenant, a different covenant. And regardless of what many may want us to think, particularly a number of TV preachers and otherwise, the norm for God's people is not wealth and riches and physical abundance and prosperity in this life. In other words, God's greatest desire for us is not to get rich in life. Now we have to then interpret that and understand that in light of living in a very affluent society where many of us, most of us have been, have been blessed with the gift of great material prosperity and abundance in comparison to much of the world. And we who have been blessed by God must acknowledge God as the source of those blessings. Prosperity is not the norm for God's people, nor His His greatest desire for God's people. But when we experience such things, perhaps if, if you have been blessed to have a family gathered together for the holidays, and many presents under the tree, and more than enough, God deserves thanks for, for those gifts. But, but at the same time, we... We must also recognize that if that has not been the case, if you are struggling in this way, if you're struggling to pay the bills, if you've not been able to provide a, a large, abundant Christmas for your children or grandchildren, otherwise, this does not mean that somehow God has been unfaithful or, or that you have lacked sufficient faith in, in God. Now, God will continue to be faithful to the promises that He has made. He is always a faithful God. And the recipients of God's blessings can anticipate His continued faithfulness in our lives for His glory. And we learn here from this account in Genesis chapter 30 that God's blessings are not hindered by human deception or enhanced by human ingenuity. God's blessings are not hindered by human deception or enhanced by by human ingenuity. Well, what do we mean by, by this? Well, here Laban and Jacob come to this agreement. They make this, this deal that Jacob is going to get this portion of the livestock. He's going to get the streaked or the speckled or the spotted lambs and goats and sheep and, and make this agreement. But we read right away that immediately Laban then pulls all of those animals aside. He takes them into his own care, deceiving Jacob so that those genetic traits will be less likely to be produced by the rest of the offspring, thereby diminishing the wealth of Jacob. 
And on the other hand, Jacob takes his own steps. He devises his own tactics from his experience of working with livestock and other superstitious practices in order to produce those type of animals for himself, building up his own wealth at the expense of of Laban. In other words, both of these men in this story, and we need to understand this story in the greater context of of Jacob's life and ultimately of Scripture, both of these men in this story acknowledge that that God is the source of of their abundance, that God has been the one who has blessed them and provided for them, yet they, they both take their own steps to increase and obtain more and more physical blessings rather than fully trusting in the hand of the Lord to, to provide. And the outcome we read in verse 43 is that Jacob grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. In other words, Jacob became rich. In modern slang, we might say that Jacob was loaded. He had an abundance. He had servants. He had much livestock, expensive livestock, such as camels. He was was blessed. And, And Jacob later acknowledged that these blessings were ultimately from the Lord in the very next chapter, telling his, his wives in Genesis chapter 31, verses 8 and 9, that God was the one that had multiplied his, his wealth. Church, those who, who have been blessed by God in this way must acknowledge God as the source of, of their blessing. So as people, as a church, as followers of Jesus, people of faith who have for the most part, been blessed with abundance. Church, let's give God thanks for the blessing of abundance. Let's give God thanks for what He has given us, for what He has entrusted for us. For there is no place for an independent, self-sufficient attitude among followers of Jesus Christ. What we have cannot simply be attributed to our own human ingenuity or achievements or accomplishments or or ambitions or whatever we want to attribute it to. Ultimately, we must acknowledge that whatever we have, regardless of how little or how much, ultimately finds its source in in God. The God who has blessed us and provided for us. This rubs against our natural sinful inclination to, to, to be proud of ourselves. Those that have obtained much to think that we have accomplished this on our own, that we deserve this, but certainly God's word teaches teaches otherwise. And on the flip side, perhaps there are those that have much and found it lacking, found it not fulfilling and Driving to achieve and want more and more and more and more. And the reality is that material prosperity and riches and affluence and wealth perhaps are good things, but they are not truly satisfying things. They leave a void. They do not satisfy the the void that is in each of us that only God can satisfy because Though perhaps many of us have been blessed with physical abundance, God's Word teaches that there is a far greater gift than that. And there is something that God desires for all of us far, far more than that. And that is the blessing of spiritual abundance. 
A blessing that comes by faith through knowing Jesus Christ, experiencing forgiveness in Christ that far outweighs any amount of other things and stuff that we might obtain or inherit in, in this life. And so perhaps you, you feel as if you have little in this life or feel as if what you have in this life is not satisfied will know that there is one who satisfies there is one who fulfills what is lacking in each of us one who offers us abundant life eternal life life to the full in knowing and following jesus christ our lord and savior for all of eternity and in fact the word of god teaches that god blessed jacob in this way with physical abundance, with material abundance, in order that He might bless us with spiritual abundance through an offspring that would come to the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through whom all people of the world would be blessed. Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. Church, the one that we celebrate this time of year, the one that we celebrate at Christmas, and the one that we gather in the name of on Sundays and the one who is worthy of our lives, of our devotion, one who is worthy of our praise, Jesus Christ our Lord, is the one for whom we owe the greatest thanks to God. We can thank God for the blessing of physical abundance, but that pales in comparison to the gift of Jesus Christ. So as people of faith, let's give God thanks for the gift of Jesus Christ. Give God thanks for the, for the gift of Christ, for the, gift of life, for the gift of forgiveness, for the gift of salvation, for the gift of eternal life in and through Him. And church, as we, as we respond to, to God's blessing on our lives, the blessing of abundance, the blessing of spiritual abundance in and through Christ, let's express our love and devotion and our praise for this King who has come to us because He loves us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to, to gather as your people today. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word today. We thank you for what you have entrusted to us. Father, we know and we acknowledge that, that whatever we have in this life ultimately finds its origin in, in you. And so we thank you for what you've given us. We thank you for what you have entrusted to us. And we acknowledge that, that what you have entrusted to us, you desire for us to use for your glory, for the praise of your name. And Father, we also acknowledge today that the gift of whatever goods, whatever abundance we have in this life pales in comparison to knowing you. Father, you don't desire for, for all of us to get rich or to be rich in this life, but you desire for us to be rich in Christ Jesus our Lord. You desire for us to know Him, to be reconciled to you, to experience the eternal hope of, of knowing you and walking with you and living for you and enjoying your presence. So Father, I pray that that, that has been clear this morning as we've opened your word. I pray that you would guide us as we praise you to respond in praising the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we do love you and we thank you for Christ. We thank you for loving us and coming to us. Father, hear our praise now that we might respond in a way that is pleasing to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.